You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word, instead of reading 12 chapters, I'm just going to read one verse to you that encapsulates uh, the, the, the primary thrust of what we're going to talk about here today, Genesis 17, 17. And let me go ahead and say this. Have your scriptures open. If you brought your Bible, and I can hear those pages turning, it's, uh, that's just awesome to hear. Keep your Bibles open because we're going to be all over the place from Genesis 11.30 all the way through the end of Genesis 22. And I want you to catch some of these key passages and see some of these very interesting stories as we're marching toward Jesus. But hear this, verse 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Let's pray. Father, those questions are profound, and we are reminded that, God, when you are at work, anything is possible. Prepare our hearts this morning for something special. Help us, Lord, to have a smile on our face and laughter in our heart as we contemplate the glories of your kingdom. You've been good to us, God. And as we head toward Christmas, I ask that you will focus our attention on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Well, Thanksgiving is in our rearview mirror, turkey and pumpkin pie and all those things. And now we're heading towards Christmas. And One of the things that we often talk about when we get in in a Christmas context is the need to reorient our lives toward Christ. I mean, from the very beginning, the wise men were following a star, right? Uh, They they, they changed their habits, they changed their uh, day planners, and they went from uh, you know, doing their thing, whatever, you know, those wise guys were up to, uh, to finding Jesus. And every time this time of year, I don't know about you, but with the craziness of life, we need that, that season of reflection and reorientation. That's why I think this book, and I'll hold it up to you again, many of you have a copy of this, is going to help us. These seven birthdays that we're going to study together are going to help us come to grips with the beautiful gift that is Jesus Christ. Uh, Martin Winslow and Daniel Carr, many of us know both of these guys. They, we've, we've done some work with them. Uh, Randy and, and Kelsey can tell you about them. These are great guys. They've put this book together. And what's so good about this book is that um, it, it helps us during the season of Christmas to think through Christmas in a different way because we all pretty well know the Christmas story, all right? But what we don't have as much familiarity with is the backstory. And so much of what we're going to be talking about is the backstory of Christmas. And it's so unique how we're going to do this. We're going to look at a series of miraculous births that are throughout the Old Testament and even one kind of uh, talked about in the New Testament with John the Baptist. And all of those miraculous births bring us a, a better picture, a more full and robust picture of who Jesus is. And today we're going to talk about this story of the birth of Isaac, Abraham and Sarah, and how this unusual story, and it is unusual in many ways, how this unusual story is moving us in the direction of Christ. Now, I, I want to say this. One, one thing that is so important for us to realize is, is that when we're going through the scriptures, 
we need to always expect um, incredible, amazing um, uh, surprises. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But let's call it the smile of God. The smile of God can be found in every corner of Scripture for those who are willing to look. If we open our eyes, we can see God moving in mighty ways in some of the most unusual places. And I I hope I can show you that here today in Genesis. There is joy to be found when God is at work. And he is at work in these passages of Scripture. And I am here to tell you, he is at work in your heart too. So ultimately, I don't want you just to think about a story from Genesis and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. They're going to point us to some concerns in our own heart. My prayer is that you will discover the gift of laughter, that you will walk out of here with an amazing amount of joy in your heart because of the realization, because of the acknowledgement of what God has done for you in the giving of his son, Jesus Our first point this morning is surprised by God. And I want you to know if we were going to define a miracle, we would say a miracle is a surprise from God. Today we hope uh, for a surprise in our hearts, in your hearts. We want to see God do amazing things. So as we look to this story, I want you, if you still have your Bibles open, go back to Genesis chapter 12. Very familiar, if you're familiar at all with Abraham's story, you know Genesis 12, 2 through 3, and it goes like this, and I will, God says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, it is so good that we have been in Genesis 1 through 11 the last several weeks, because I think you'll make a connection here. In chapter 10, remember we went through the table of nations? You remember that? And like everybody in that whole chapter was the father of a nation. So when we come to Genesis chapter 12, in a sense, we read this. If we're really paying attention, if we're following along with the text, and we're like, what's the big miracle? What's the big deal? All these other people have big families, and they have a great nation uh, that's coming from them. What makes this special? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because if you go back to Genesis 11.30, you find your answer. The answer to why this is such a big deal is said very bluntly in Genesis 11.30. Now, Sarai was barren. Sarai, Sarah, her name changes as, as this story goes along. Abram, Abraham, I'll use them inter- interchangeably, same people uh, throughout the story. But here you see why this story of a, the birth of Isaac is a big deal because we have infertility. Now, as I said a moment ago, um, this story is, is, is unusual in the sense that it's talking about some of the most heart-wrenching issues that we face as humans. And to think about laughter in this context seems, you know, kind of out of place. But that's not true at all. And I'll show you why here in just a moment. In fact, let me just go ahead and say this. When God is really at work, when we are truly surprised by God, there is nothing we can do but laugh. My good friend Johnny Patterson, I've known him for nearly 20 years, and he's always had this curious statement that I never quite understood until I started studying this passage. He will always talk. If you talk to him and he's talking about something that God is doing, he'll say, and I just laughed. He'll say that again and again and again. Over the years, I've heard him say it uh, hundreds and hundreds of times. He gets it. 
When God is at work, when God begins to surprise you, there is no other recourse but to laugh and say, this is the hand of God. When God is at work, that's what we have to do. So here's this guy, Abraham, whose name means exalted father, who can't have any children. It's, it's a strange and sad kind of tale. It's like, what God are you doing? You can imagine that Abraham and Sarah had to just be shocked when they found out that they would be uh, the parents of a great nation. And we need to realize they first got hints of this when they were like in their 70s. So once again, you want to talk about a surprise. Now, Thanksgiving, we were around some of our cousins, and they have little ones. And, you know, I'm going to tell you, little kids have a lot of energy. Where, where are you out in, in a heartbeat? So, you know, thinking about someone of, of, of this age uh, chasing after a little one, you know, that'll make you laugh just a little bit right there. But what's interesting is, is that they still have to wait for like, 15, 16, 17 years before this promise comes to fruition. So they get the promise very late in life, and then they still have to wait a long, long time. Let me tell you how crazy this is, uh, to have children this late. Uh, When you read Winslow and Carr, you'll find out that the world record is a lady in London who had a child at age 59. As far as we know, that's the oldest live birth um, of a person of a mother, 59 years old. And if you were watching the news this week, isn't it interesting that just this week, a lady had a child, had a little baby girl named Lily, and she was 50 years of, uh, years of age, 50 years. It's, it made all the news. If you Google that this afternoon, you'll see dozens of stories about it. It's all over the place because it just doesn't happen. I want you to see this illustrates how big of a surprise this is. It's not just that there was infertility. There's also this issue of age, advanced age, old age even. And yet God has made a promise. When the Lord showed up in Abraham's life, look at Genesis 12. He says this, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Now, the reason I wanted to read that to you is because before the miracle could come, Abraham and Sarah had to be people of faith. Miracles, I believe in them. I believe in the power of God, and I believe in the power of miracles, but I also believe that they're going to come to us when we have faith, when we're trusting in the Lord, when we're trusting in his word. Now, here the word is pretty crazy in the sense that Abraham is told to leave someplace. He says, go from, and he just says, go to the place where I'm going to tell you. So there is no GPS point on the map. There is no address. God says, go, and I'll give you the address later. That's by definition faith. And Abraham, we know, was a man of great faith. In verses 2 and 3, we talked about blessings, but those blessings come to the faithful. Now, I want to tell you this. When we talk about God from this pulpit in our our small groups, we believe that God um, has given us propositions of truth, so propositional truth. I believe that that Christianity is logical, that we can go through this Bible and we can see the mind of God, rationality. There's truth that we can sink our teeth into. It's it's, it's beautiful stuff. But we need to realize that even a reasonable faith leaves room for a big God who does big things. 
So here's the balance we have to find, church. We have to believe that God's word is telling us how to live and giving us these propositions for how we are to live our lives, but we also believe that God can speak and touch down and do incredible things. Whatever way you've limited God, I'm praying that God will surprise you, that he will go exceedingly abundantly beyond what you think he could do. You know, some people say, well, I just want to know God. I, I want to get my mind around who he is. But no offense. If you can get your mind around God, that God is too small. We need a God bigger than us. We need a God of surprises. We need a God who can do the impossible. Don't you feel that way in our world today when you see so many people who do not know Jesus? We need a God who can do the impossible, who does impossible things. If you fast forward uh, and turn over to Genesis 15, many years have passed. Um, nothing has happened. And you get the feeling that you have uh, people like Abraham and Sarah asking the question, can God be trusted? As, as, as uh, Moses is writing this story, um, it's almost like he, he wants us to say, okay, there was this big promise in chapter 12. Is, is God going to deliver and in chapter 15, it seems like that, that Abraham is struggling. He is, it says there in verse 1, he's afraid. Fear not. I mean, why would God say that unless he was afraid? Abraham knew that there had been promises made. But all he could see were the complications. Let me just say this to you, brothers and sisters. When God is really at work in our hearts, when he's called us to do a God-sized thing, the first thing the devil is going to do is make us focus on the complications, the hard things, the difficult things. There is always going to be a hundred or a thousand reasons not to be obedient to God. Our minds are going to try to trick us and to tell us that we're going to know a better way. But what we have to do is trust in the word of the Lord. Verses 4 and 5 talk about the word of the Lord. And ultimately, Abraham believed in that. Believed God pro God's promises that God would be a shield, a promise of protection, that he would be a reward, the promise of provision. God would be there. It is good to know that the Lord is with us even when we are not quite with it. I know that many of us, we go through difficult seasons of our Christian faith. There are times where we just don't feel like we're getting good traction in our discipleship and growth. You're going to go through those times, but know this, even when you're not with it, Christ is with you. Keep moving, even if it's baby steps at a time. Don't stop moving in the right direction because the miracle, the surprise of God is still on the way, even when we're struggling, even when we're not feeling the power of God, seeing the movement of God around us. You see, God's promises cannot be broken, which is the theme here in chapter 15, verses 17 through 21. There's going to be a lot of struggle. In fact, there's a, a, a hint here in verses 12 through 16 that it's going to be a 500-year-long struggle. God does not work in, in just minutes, but sometimes in centuries, in millennia. And here we see 13 years, roughly, between Genesis 12 and, and 17. The numbers got a little uh, muddied in my mind, but I think it's like 13 years. Whether it's 13 years or 17 years, man, some of us are complaining with, with 13 minutes and we haven't heard from God. 13 years of having to trust in God and wait on God. And I believe, though, there was faith. 
And as long as we will continue to trust in the promises of God, there will be surprises, there will be miracles, there will be works of God. Mary was certainly surprised in Luke 1.34 when she was told the role she would play in the redemption of the world. She said, how can these things be? How can it be? When it's God at work, we'll ask questions like that. How can it be? Now, one of the ways that it won't be is when we give in to sin. No matter how long I serve as a pastor, no matter how long I read and study, I'm here to tell you I'm always kind of shocked by sin. I'm always shocked by moral failure. I'm always shocked by the proclivity of my own heart to chase after sin. All these years I've spent in the Word, all these experiences I've had, I've watched many good people fall and fail. I know the dangers, and yet the mind, the human mind, the fallen mind is always leaning towards sin. It is a battle we have to fight every day. We should not be shocked when people give in to sin because we know how easy it would be for us to give in to sin. It is hard to live a righteous life, but we must never stop striving to be righteous. And we should never stop Striving for righteousness today, even if yesterday we failed miserably. If you're here this morning and you say, you know, this week has not been a good week. I've given in to some temptations. I've not been uh, the, the witness and the light that I should be. The devil would love for you to wallow in that some more. But I'm here to tell you that even if you have made some poor decisions lately, that doesn't mean you have to carry them into the rest of today and the rest of this week. You can turn from your sin. You must determine that God's way is better. You see, the path that God has for us is a straight way. But we will run into potholes, and those potholes are our sins. God doesn't promise us a smooth journey, but he does provide us with a sure destination. So know this, God has a destination for you, and your sinful choices have put some potholes in the road. We, we uh, grew up in southern Illinois. I can tell you now that my daughter lives in Chicago, uh, when you drive on Illinois roads, you can uh, just, just imagine craters. That's what their potholes are. Um, basically, that's the way it is over there. And, and when you're driving along on the highway and you hit a, a, a pothole at 70 miles an hour, you feel it in your teeth. It shakes you uh, to your core. And I'm going to tell you, that's how sin is. Many of you have been Christ followers for a long time, but you've been shooken up. You've been, you've been shook up because of those potholes, because you have from time, to, from time to time given in to sin. Now, let me show you in the text what's going on here. If you want to look at chapter 16, that's where we see it. Abraham, for uh, as great a man of faith as he was, this is a guy who had some colossal potholes in the road of life. He made some really silly choices, and I can't even get into all of them. There's just times where you're going, come on, man. You, you've already made this exact same mistake, Abraham. Don't do it again, you know, as you're reading the text. It's like, wow, uh, the man of faith was uh, somewhat um, thick-headed when it came to some of these sins. But in chapter 16, we really see him at his worst. Him and Sarah, quite frankly. Let me just read a little bit of it. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Now that should ring a bell. It's even mentioned in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, Romans. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. 
And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, I just want to stop there and say, he listened to his wife here, and he shouldn't have. And, and we look at this story, and we're like, man, that, that's just terrible that, that a married couple would make this decision uh, uh, to, to try to have children. And so today we look at this and we say, well, that's, that's just crazy. Well, it is crazy and it is sinful and it's not God's will. But in that culture, this was very common. This is what people did. If they, if they didn't have fertility, uh, they, would, they would do things like this. They would make arrangements. Now, let me just say this. That doesn't make it right. Just because the culture said it was right doesn't make it right. And we need to listen to that. Today, the voices that are declaring right and wrong but don't have Bible backing it up, don't listen to what the culture says about right and wrong if it doesn't have Bible backing it up. We believe in the Word of God. We believe it. But here we have a clear violation of God's will. And here's what it is. We have two people who are seeing a problem that's 13 years plus in the making, and it's not getting solved, and they try to do things their own way. Every single time we try to do things our way, we cause terrible disturbances in our lives. And Ishmael is born, and he becomes... Uh, Hagar, Hagar and Ishmael become a, a thorn in the flesh of, of Sarah and of Abraham. In fact, it causes these two people to act very mean uh, in very cruel ways. The story is really sad. We see what jealousy does. We see what happens when we are calculating and thinking of doing things our way instead of God's way. It brings great pain. And yet still... Even though Abraham and Sarah have made these terrible choices, if you fast forward to Genesis 21, we learn that Isaac is born. And this precious boy, his name means laughter. And I want to say this, that in this part of the scriptures where we see two people of faith acting like, like they don't have faith, God is still at work. I, I, I'm telling you right now, avoid sin with all your strength. But know this. God's promises are greater than your failures. He is able to overcome our failures, but let's not try to uh, you know, test that theory, okay? That's what happens here. We see this beautiful grace, this amazing mercy. Dane Ortman puts it well. If mercy were put in terms of currency, then God would be a billionaire, he has so much mercy to pour out on us. How good it is that even though sin is shocking, what's even more shocking is the grace of God. Your sins are shocking, but the grace of God is more shocking still. And let's talk as we, as we finish about being saved by grace, because here's the deal. Matthew 121, a very common Christmas uh, scripture, tells us that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Even though we are sinners, even though we fall short of the glory of God, Jesus has come to give us grace and salvation, saved by grace. If you'll turn to chapter 22, we see one of the most powerful stories in the Old Testament, the story of Abraham and Isaac. In verses 1 through 8, we see a command coming from God that doesn't make sense. I read a book a few weeks ago, and it was talking about logic and, and trans logic. So, so there's logic, and then there's like what God tells us that doesn't compute right away. So they called, this, this author called it translogical. It's a, it's a crazy thought. But here's what it does. That term opens up our mind to the, the possibility 
that our mind has limits when it comes to logic. That sometimes God, his mind is so much bigger than ours that all we can do is obey. And this is an instance of this. Many people read the story of the sacrificing of Isaac and they go, how in the world could God uh, tell this old man who finally had this beautiful child in old age, named him laughter. Then God says, now I need you to take him up to this mountain, the mountain I'm going to tell you to go to, and you're going to sacrifice him for me. It had to be one of the most difficult things any human has ever had to experience in this world. And many people read this story and say, I don't want a God like that. I don't want some, some God who asks fathers to take their children and sacrifice them. Well, where they're not reading the whole story because Genesis 22 is a part of the Bible. And from Genesis to Revelation, we know that the whole thing is about the coming of Jesus. And perhaps the greatest illustration of our need for Jesus is to be found in the story of Abraham and Isaac. And God tells this man, Abraham, to go and sacrifice his son. And we know what happens at the very last second as the knife is coming down, about to plunge into the, the, the precious son's chest, into Isaac's chest. Again, no laughing matter. The angel of the Lord stays his hand and Isaac is spared. And God provides another sacrifice. And he says, this, this is the place of provision. Now, what this story is pointing to is this. And Paul gives us this hint in Romans 8.32. Let's listen to it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So here's what the story is telling us. Abraham loved Isaac. God knew that and spared that precious boy's life. But when it came to Calvary, when the heavenly Father's Son was about to be nailed to a cross for our sins, the Father allowed His Son to be crucified for our salvation. The provision was always Jesus. Friends, that is a profound mystery. And when it touches you, all you can do is laugh. And say, thank you, God. Not laughter like a lunatic, but laughter like the person who has just realized the most beautiful truth in all the world. The person who realizes that they should die in their sins, but instead they've learned that they've been given freedom and hope and eternal life. Talk about love undeserved. Talk about mercy that is incalculable. Imagine such a gift. You see, the whole story of Isaac is to show us how much God loves us. We have to have this story of this unusual birth, this strange story of, of people in, in advanced age having a children, knowing that they would be so tied to this child, that they, this child would be precious beyond words to describe, and then to be asked to give, it, uh, give up this child. And at the last minute, they don't have to. But it's pointing to that hill far away, the hill called Calvary, where Jesus did not avoid the sacrifice. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.